Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about music that makes your skin vibrate and gives you goosebumps, too. So we are back for part two of this year's No Sleep Till Sudbury Christmas episode, live from the home of none other than Mr. Rick Emmett. Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Rick. <laughs> We've had tea. We've had our break. That's We're ready right. to go. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, we've covered the first four songs. Uh, from your 2019 Christmas playlist in part one last week. So we've got three more to do. Do we want to uh, review the themes that we talked about? Um, sh- you can if you like, sure. You know, I, I don't really care. Okay. Uh, because I, you know me, I just go off on tangents anyways. That's- so who cares what the themes were? You know, okay. in the spirit of rock and roll, let's, <laughs> let's forget all about the themes. Right? Okay. Now, I'll bring them up if we come up, <laughs> if we if we happen upon them. All right. You know, uh, whatever. Uh, my big thing was songs that weren't um, they weren't necessarily about Christmas. You know, so we're going to start with one of those on the, in this episode. Yes, yeah. a controversial song in recent times. Baby, it's cold outside. Yes, my my favorite version of this is from from 1957, and it's uh, Simon Davis Jr. <laughs> and uh, Carmen McRae, and I. I mean, part of the reason I love it is because Sammy does use some voices and he just has some fun with it. And uh, and I, for the life of me, I can't imagine why somebody would have got their knickers in a knot about something. I mean, when when you and I get into this and I start to tell you the story of where the song came from and, and how it originally came out into the public. Mm-hmm. Anybody that had any kind of common sense about them would have said, oh, OK, well. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyhow, it's a. It, this is a, a relevant to the theme that there's a, you know, no mention of uh, Christmas or or the baby Jesus or yeah. <laughs> the feast of Saint Stephen's or any of that stuff. This is just a, a holidays kind of a song. It's about the weather. It's written by a guy named Frank Lesser. Mm. The song was written in the forties, and no one knows for sure when it was originally written. Because in its first several years of life, it was only a song that Frank Lesser would play at Christmas parties. Yeah. So that his wife, and her name was Lynn Garland, mm-hmm. and she was a singer. She would get to sing the song of Frank's at swank New York Christmas parties. And it was kind of like the signaling of the end of the party. Okay, like, come on, everybody, go to the bedroom and get your coats. You know, it's time for everybody to leave. <laughs> like. Yeah. Because she would sing this this song, which was about, hey, it's cold outside. It's time to leave. Yeah. Oh, no, come on, let's have one more drink. Oh, no, no. it's, it's So, yeah, so that's how it started, by being played at, like, New York salons and, and, and around the holiday season. And his wife was actually heartbroken. There's a quote, I think it's even on Wikipedia. Yeah. It's, it's somewhere on the Internet, where she says, uh, it was like he cheated on me with another woman when he, when I found out that he'd sold the rights to the song right. through his publisher because that was my song. That was my ticket to, you know, being at these parties and sort of being the, the closer. Yeah. Like I got to be the headliner at the party and he was taking that away from me. So yeah, that, that broke her heart. But yeah. Yeah. yeah the, uh, you know, in recent times people have banned this song from radio stations. I think CBC was actually one of them. Yes. But you know, for me, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get into it too deeply here, but I think you have to use a common sense approach, right? Yes. This song was written in, what, 1944 or something. Yeah. It's very harmless. It was written by two people who, well, one person, uh, about two people who liked each other. Yes. 
it was almost like an overcorrection. I like to see the Me Too movement come to its fore, but at the same time, it was almost like there was this kind of hypersensitivity that kicked in and things got looked at that didn't need to be looked at. Exactly. And the thing, too, is like when when Lesser put it to his publisher, then they got it into the movies. Mm -hmm. And so 1949, it was in a movie mm -hmm. called Neptune's Daughter. Right. With Ricardo Montalban right. and his wife Esther Williams, yeah. and so Montalban sings it to her early in the movie, early on, and then later in the movie, two of the lesser players, the comic duo of Betty Gar Garrett and and Red Skelton of all people, mm -hmm. she sings it to him. Right. So reversed. the roles are reversed, and when Lesser actually wrote it, he had uh, the wolf. I think he uh, originally sort of entitled him the Wolf and the Lamb or something the like mouse. that. Mouse. The Wolf, wolf and the, the mouse. mouse. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, okay, yes, somebody's got designs, but it, it's not necessarily male-female. Right. You know, uh, which, of course, yes, in a politically unenlightened time, yes, it was the males that would often be the horrible aggressors and uh, breaking rules and terrible, horrible. But, but in the case of this, I mean, I made a little list so that I could read this when we're doing this interview. Okay. These are the versions of the song. There's so many versions of this song mm -hmm. that have been recorded. Oh, yeah. You know, but these are the ones that appeal to me. Okay. okay. In 1949, Ella Fitzgerald did it with Louis Jordan. Now, do you know who Louis Jordan is? I've heard the name. Louis Jordan and the Jordanaires. When, when people search for the missing link yeah. between the jump era of, of swing okay. and rock and roll. Okay. Louis Jordan and the Jordanaires are often the thing that people go, that's who invented rock and roll. Oh. He was the guy that sort of took it from being a swinging groove to being like, like he kind of was one of the first rock and roll kind of guys. So famous band leader kind of guy. In more recent times, 2002, Brian Setzer, who's a fantastic guitar player, I love him. Straight Cats. Uh, yeah, and he did it with Anne Margaret, oh. of all people, on an album of his called Boogie Woogie Christmas. Wow. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. As is often the problem with a lot of Christmas records, the jingle bells, things, they're too freaking loud. Yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or somebody, they, they, they put a, a tambourine or something on it, on the track, and it's just... It's mixed way too loud. Like, you know, I don't need the sleigh bells that loud, you know. <laughs> so that kind of wrecks that record for me. But, uh, yeah, that's 2002. 2008, yeah. Anne-Marie did it with Michael Buble. That's right. I'm a big fan of both. And I know people go, Rick Emmett, rock and roll guy, you like Anne-Marie? I, I do. I, uh, her voice and her, the, the style of her voice is, is she's styled very much after Perry Como, mm -hmm. who was uh, a Pretty damn good singer. And Andy Williams and those kind of guys. Yes. Yeah. I do like her singing and I like the sound of her voice. But Buble is one of my guys, you know. We we did one of his tunes in the first episode there. I like him. And then uh, 2009, Willie Nelson did it with Nora Jones. Yeah. You know, we're already getting here into the politically correct era. and There are loads. Yes, yeah. yes. And in, in 2014... Seth MacFarlane, you know, of all people, the man of a thousand voices, yeah. does it with Sarah Bareilles. And I love Sarah Bareilles. She's amazing. I just recently went to see her show, The Waitress mm. uh, Broadway thing. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. She's one of these singers that never needs auto-tune. Uh, Sarah Bareilles is one of these people that's just got incredibly great pitch. Generally speaking, I'll say this. There are songwriters who are piano players. Yeah. And their pitch tends to be much better than songwriters who are guitarists. Guitarists' pitch 
is kind of all over the place because half the time guitars are not even in tune mm. or you go up the neck and now it's out of tune or your strings are too old and it's out of tune. But piano players, like your Elton John type guys, mm-hmm. their pitch is really good mm. because they're constantly at a fixed pitch. They're sitting in front of something that's always, interesting. you know, huh. as long as they've called the piano tuner the, <laughs> at the end of the month, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're in tune. So, so there you go. I, you know, that whole sexist thing, I mean, I, I don't buy into it either. I mean, I understand the culture shift that makes it so that we need to be uh, cognizant of these things and aware of these things. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the song itself, the lyric, it, it, it has this sort of old-fashioned context of propriety, like the, her reputation, oh, what will the neighbors think of me? And oh, my, my sister's going to be suspicious. And uh, my maiden aunt's mind is vicious. Yeah. That's literally one of the lyrics. Yeah. You go, maiden aunt. <laughs> what is a maiden like, aunt, anyway? Uh, that's, you know, your mother's sister that never got married. Ah. You know, or your father's sister. She's, yeah. a, she's still a maiden. Maiden. Her maidenhead is apparently still intact. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, it sounds horrible, but it's... <laughs> I know. Yeah. And just that the whole aspect of, you know, somebody arguing for, say, political correctness. Yeah. The the song is talking about women shaming women. So, but that's supposed to be part of this thing, too. Don't do that either. Yeah. So, oh, but the song is doing that, too, because, of course, it's doing it. It was the 40s. You yeah, know? exactly. People were still probably having gas rationing. Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm... Happy to be encouraged to think twice about things like that, but I just, I really do think that a common sense approach has to be used. Yeah, I just want people, when they listen to the song, I want them to remember that when it first came to the light of day, Red Skelton was playing the, the yeah. part of the guy going, No, I think I gotta go home. Or, yeah. Oh, I think somebody's waiting for me. No, no, I. There's nothing rapey about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> I would tend to agree. Anyways, let's enjoy Sammy Davis Jr. Yes. With Carmen McRae. She, she, I love the way she, at one point she goes, no, Sammy. <laughs> no, Sammy. Which is probably that's why it got in trouble because she was saying no and he's going, oh, now, come on. <laughs> but it's harmless fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right, let's move on. Yes. Tune number six from your playlist is Christmas Time is Here, Diana Krall. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I, I want to make sure that people understand where this song comes from. It was a Charlie Brown Christmas, mm-hmm. and it's 1965, and they're not sure what music they're going to use, and maybe they're not going to use any music at all on this animated special. They're just not sure what they're going to do. But the guy who's the producer of the thing, for, and I can't remember who it was, CBS or NBC, or you know, it would have been one of the large ones. Yeah, He's wandering around, and he goes to a bar where there's a jazz trio playing in the lounge, huh. and he's going, this could work, you know, this kind of, this style of stuff is, it's kind of hip, but it's kind of cool, and if the guy would take it. So he literally gives his card to the piano player, yeah. and the piano player goes, yeah, okay, I'll give you a call tomorrow, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this. And that was Vince Guaraldi. No way. And so he started writing all these pieces of music and stuff. And and the, the producer was Lee Mendelssohn. Okay. And Lee Mendelssohn, he, he's got this tune that... that uh, I'm grabbing my guitar here. This. Kind of simple, but it's also it's pretty jazzy. The chords are, are 
sophisticated, mm-hmm. but he didn't have lyrics. So Mendelssohn says, hey, let me take a crack at this. Um, so he wrote the lyrics and, you know, probably on the back of a cigarette package and yeah. 10 minutes or whatever the story would be, you know. But of course, now he's got a piece of a royalty that will exist for all time. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I'm going to raise this as a tangent for, okay. for, for those of you that were never in my songwriting class. There was a thing that always happened with TV shows where, like, you know, Kelsey Grammer's got Fraser, mm-hmm. and he writes the jingle. He wrote that? Yeah. Oh, wow. The, 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 you know, Green Eggs and Ham or whatever it was yeah, called. Yeah. You know, no, it was something with scrambled eggs. and Like, he wrote that. Oh, okay. And uh, the, uh, when Paul Reiser had his show, he wrote the the, oh, the music. Yeah. And the reason that this happens is because it's a way that you're going to be getting money mm-hmm. if you when you go into repeats or or syndication. Yeah, syndication and stuff. You're going to get paid <laughs> again and again and again and again. And so one of the guys that made the most money of all time from television mm-hmm. was Paul Anka. Okay. And he wrote the Tonight Show. Da 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 Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And guess who gets paid every single time Jeopardy goes into Final Jeopardy? I don't know. Merv Griffin's estate. No. Yeah. Who wrote? Not Merv. Merv Griffin wrote that. No. Yes. Merv Griffin wrote a lot of jingles for game shows. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that he would be making the money when they were. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, Merv is no longer with us, sadly, yeah. but. <laughs> wow. Anyhow. Yes, it's true. So this guy, Lee Mandelson, he's just, you know, sort of playing into the old uh, tradition of the producer goes, how can I make sure that I'm getting some money out of syndication? Oh, I know. I'll, I'll write the jingle. So, but he did a nice job. And there, there's a really cool thing about the lyric, too, which I want to point out. This, uh, when I was putting the script together. I didn't give you this. I, I penciled this in last night because I was looking yeah. at the lyric. Yep. It sums up at the end of the tune and it goes, Oh, that we could always see such spirit through the year. So it's talking about all those lovely things about, you know, oh, it's, there's beauty and, and then there's, there's joyful memories. There's all this lovely stuff about Christmas. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be nice if, if we could have this throughout the whole year so there's this tiny little touch of melancholy like almost like a little bit of regret like yes it's it's lovely it's beautiful but you know how come we're not always like this which is a it's a this ties back to the Joni Mitchell River thing of of it's also a time of regret like yes we have this this uh you know fellowship of man and love and all of these great things but Mm -hmm. it's also a, a time where you kind of go yeah, but how come we're not like this all the time? How come, you know, life isn't like this? Yeah. You know? So there's always a little bit of melancholy and regret, which it's captured so beautifully in jazz tunes that have chords that go like. Yeah. That's what a cool change. This is, there's a nine in that. Like, that's not a, there's a, in in a a major chord. So it's not, it's not fully resolved. It's kind of hanging. And the the song also, um, it moves from one key to another key. So the verse is like here. Uh, But then it goes late and it's like... And then it's back. 
two toggling uh, key centers mm-hmm. in the tune, which this has been used in many other uh, songs. And one of the things, like one of the tunes we did in the uh, part one was uh, the Christmas song with uh, Toots the Omens playing on James Taylor's recording. Yeah. And when they get to the tag of that tune, the, it, it toggles okay. from one key to another key. It's a little Christmas tradition that the, a non-musician would never know, really. Mm. They, they'd feel it, but they would never... It, it adds a sense of kind of, um, well, classiness, yeah. but also uh, a sense of the center shifts. Yeah. I think Christmas is a time where the center is always kind of shifting. So harmonically, as, a, as an artist, I kind of go, well, if I was going to do it, I would do that too. And that's why so many artists have arrangers or writers. Yeah. They shift keys because, yeah, well, Christmas kind of does that. It The, the moods move around. You know? True. Yeah. Well, you know, it just reminded me last year we talked about how it's important to curate your Christmas playlist based on mood. Yes. So when you start out, it's background music. In the middle of the night, you know, it's a little bit louder. It's a little bit more upbeat. And then towards the end, when the coffee's being put on, yeah, it's like, well, okay, so that's when people really listen to the music and it's a little bit more mellow and contemplative. Yes. Right? And of course, uh, this song in particular, uh, Diana Krall, her style is all about that. Mm. She's like... Uh, you know, in a commercial where they put the little wooden stick into the honey and they, right. and it's like it's, slow motion. Almost. Yeah. It's like dribbling off, you know, or, or that, the old Heinz ketchup commercial where it's like yeah, anticipation. We're just waiting. We're just waiting. Yeah. She's very much, you, you, there, there's a real common thing now that where they show like somebody's crew and they're, they're coming out of a bar and then they're all walking in slow motion and something's blowing up behind them. There's fire, yeah. but they're, they're walking in slow-mo. Like Diana Krall's voice is like slow-mo. It's a really wonderful thing. It's a very musicianly thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go into a, a little tangent here about musicianly things. Sure. See, most people think of a beat and they go tick, 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 tick. And they think a beat is, it's this little, you know, the tick, talk tick but a beat is, is has width to it and you know the slower a tempo is the wider the width is and it allows time to become elastic mm-hmm. and really good musicians and it doesn't matter what school of music you're from like you could be a really heavily schooled jazz player or you could be a very unschooled rock player like Keith Richards Keith Richards goes to the back side of the beat and it makes the beat wider. Mm. So it makes it heavier. It makes it cooler. Yes. Right? And Diana Krall gets that. She's totally backside of the beat, letting the beat pull her, you know, to, to the next musical moment. And she's never getting out ahead of it, you know. Yeah. That, that's going to make it. So now, it's not to say that you don't do that musically. Sometimes you do get ahead of the beat because it makes it more urgent. Yeah. It makes it more exciting. An example I used to use in class all the time was um, Andy Summers in the in the Police and the Every Breath You Take, mm-hmm. and it's a very metronomic. Every breath you and they're they're like it's very metronomic, right? I hope that's yeah. loud enough. Yeah. So, but then when the bridge comes, he he plays this. And it's it's way ahead of the beat when he hits. So he adds this urgency to the when the bridge comes. Oh, no, no, 
never lost without a brand. Can't reveal your slang. And they're all like way ahead of the beat. But it creates a different sense to all of the rest of this. Walking tempo, everything in time. Everything yeah. Tick tock, tick tock. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, Andy Summers is a, he's a very fine musician, great guitar player. Yeah. Anyhow, that idea of time being elastic yes. and being able to use it. Yeah. So great example of that. As you mentioned, Keith Richards, the Rolling yeah. Stones. I thought about the intro to Can't You Hear Me Knocking, right? Yeah. He intros with his guitar, but then the drums come in and he kind of interplays with that. And he's hanging on a little bit to the back of the Exactly. Beat, right? And there's that swing and you folks can't see this but he's actually moving back in his chair as he says this striking guitar player poses keith richards that's right i'm going down to the floor now we need video yeah you gotta get a tv show man yeah okay come on all right so are we done with that one no i want to mention by name the guitar player on the track anthony wilson because okay. he's he's really lovely, and he uh, th- this whole thing of these kinds of these voicings. That's what a great passing chord that is. It's a very solemn sounding. Like, I'm sure that what she did was she said, okay, Anthony, you come up with an arrangement of this and we'll use that as the bed track yeah. and I'll sing to that. Tommy LaPuma was the uh, producer of the sessions. Yeah. People might go, who's that? And Tommy's passed away since. But he was the guy that brought you George Benson's yeah. Breezen, you know, all those soaring strings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and the arrangements on the record are credited to uh, John Clayton and Johnny Mandel. And these are both, you know, unbelievably great arrangers. Diana loves that, those really airy high violins that are almost playing uh, harmonics. They're not even playing full notes. Mm. So she loves the sound of that stuff, which worked really great on the Look of Love album that she did. So this Christmas record came a little later than that, but... um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful texture at the bottom where the guitar is, with the bass is laying down this this fundamental track. Yeah, and then these colors that are coming in and out from the orchestra, woodwinds and strings primarily. That's Diana Krall's taste, but it's also Tommy LaPuma's. He might have written those arrangements. I'm not sure, but then he might have just hired Johnny Mandel and said, "Johnny, you do this." And Johnny Mandel, if anybody. Cares is the guy that wrote songs like The Shadow of Your Smile. And oh. Johnny Mandel had hit songs in like three decades, four decades. Yeah. Uh, who wrote the music for Moon River? Oh, no, he wrote the lyrics for Moon River, sorry. So wow. With, with uh, Henry Mancini. <laughs> oh. Henry Mancini wrote that music and yeah. So anyways, that's that tune. Okay. Yeah. So we've got one more. It's Dave Cook's The Turkey. <laughs> Yes. Final Cafe. Yes, it is. Yeah, Stuart McLean. And this has now become very standard stuff every Christmas at the Emmett House. Yeah. On the playlist, my wife will get out the Vinyl Cafe Christmas CDs, and there's a lot of them. Okay. I think there's a box that has like five CDs in them, and they're all Christmas stories from over the years. Okay. And uh, But Dave Cooks the Turkey was kind of the first one. 
I, I put it on my, on my playlist with you because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to make sure that there was lots of CanCon. Yes. <laughs> uh, Stuart McLean started life as a, a writer, uh, sort of, uh, again, in radio, they call them producers, but they're, they're really just kind of writers who come up with ideas okay. for Morningside. I think it was Morningside, Peter Zowski's yeah, yeah, yeah. show. Yeah. And Zowski loved him. He thought he was very thorough, that his stories were, you know, very well put together. McLean went on to sort of become a Ryerson professor where he taught writing and, mm. and uh the, these are very generous borrowing that goes on for these vinyl cafe things that comes from uh american pbs and um garrison keeler who did prairie home companion uh, mm. minnesota broadcasting system and then pbs you can really sense that Stuart mcclain was kind of going well i could do that but i could you know do it about a guy that has a used record store in a small town ontario or I'm not sure if it was London, Ontario, but it certainly seemed like it was some kind of a, not a huge metropolis, but a fairly, you know, going kind of place. And uh, so he'd have this fictitious set of characters that could, would recur. And, yeah. But of course, there's also, you know, we talked in the Diana Krall thing about her sense of time. Yes. And as a storyteller, Stuart McLean shares this gift that he can stretch out a moment and it's it's kind of a, a Jeremy Stewart kind of thing okay. you know it's a story oh shucks kind of telling of a story he'd go on Carson's show and he would tell these stories that were always well uh, uh, <laughs> you know I uh, but he knew where he was going he was just going to take his sweet time getting there yeah you know McLean has that in spades yeah. you know and he'll often do a thing and this is a writer kind of thing where he's telegraphing the punchline it's coming it's coming you know you can tell it's coming the timing of everything is building up to this moment and he'll stop and then you can hear he, he would take these things in front of live audiences and you can hear the live audience you can hear people starting to laugh yeah and he goes yeah just be patient i'll get there because <laughs> like he he's just i i used to tell songwriters you know, when you get to the big moments in songs, you kind of want to stretch the taffy a little <laughs> bit. You want to make them wait for the sweet explosion, you know. Yes. As a storyteller, he sh- it's a very musical thing that he does. And, of course, we live in this world now, uh, you know, and this is my tangent here. For this <laughs> as, as I sit here with you in front of microphones and we're telling stories, yeah. uh, we, we live in a time of storytelling sort of having a, a resurgence. You know, you've mm. got your... TED Talks and you've got your podcasts and, you know, Mark Marin and, you know, the, yeah. this, this stuff where uh, audiobooks, they're making a, a large segment of, of an aging population. And even my kids, like my son is a, a producer guy at uh, Sportsnet. So he works in television and stuff. But when he goes home and, and unwinds, He'll often do TED Talks or podcasts, and mm-hmm. he likes the the astronomer guy that's got three names in the States, the black guy. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I know. Neil... Neil Degrassi Tyson or something. something. Like that. Yeah. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he likes to, you know, again, spoken word and, and the expansion of the mind, you know. Mm-hmm. So we live in a time where that is happening. So whenever we, you know, when we were taking our tea break, we were asking Google a couple of things. <laughs> And you were kind of lamenting, you know, the digital era and kind of going, hey, we used to have to work a little harder for It's like cheating, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, and I get that. I get that it does feel like that. But I'm, I'm so past that now just because 
you can get so much information so quickly yeah. that you can build nice solid walls of information mm-hmm. that it's not it's not based on conjecture or bs you know it, you can actually find your way to facts and you can find your way to great songs great music it's it's available. It's just mm-hmm. you got to dig around in in order to do it. Yeah, it's not really any different. You were lamenting. Oh, I used to be able to go to the library and yeah, get a book, and and then I felt like I was expanding myself. Yeah, but I mean, I get that way when I'm doing these putting these scripts together for your show, and I'm going and I'm reading Wikipedia, and then that leads me to another thing, leads me to another thing, and yeah. before you know it, I've gone five steps past where you know yeah. I'm on I'm on tangent number five. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I, I like that. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I need to get past that. I always thought there was some sort of nobility in taking the long road and doing, you know, the, the hard work. But yeah. I mean, if it's there, why not embrace it? Isn't it funny how, you know, this is like Puritan work ethic. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. This is, and it's, it's kind of in our Canadian DNA. Like if we don't suffer, we distrust things that, what, it came easily? Well, yeah. then that can't be any good. Can't be worth it. Wait, you didn't freeze your ass off and nearly die? Yeah. Well, that's not good. That's not Canadian. You got to be freezing your ass off and nearly die. Yeah. So you hit it on the head. That's exactly what it is. So I grew up in a small town in northern Ontario. That was in your DNA. Scottish Presbyterians. You had to earn it. They're like, deny themselves everything. (laughs) No, no, you're going to eat thistles. That's what you're going to do. Not candy. No, no, no. We're going to eat sheep's bladder. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Okay, enough with the jokes, Emmett. All right. So uh, it seems to be that time, I believe, that you are going to play another tune. Okay. I, I think episode two didn't last as long as episode one. No. Does that matter? <laughs> no, God, your, no. Your sponsors aren't going to complain. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do uh, the Christmas song. I'm going to do, uh, this is my version of it. But I'm going to do it in the key that uh, Anthony Wilson did. Um, Diana Krall's Christmas Time is Here, key of E. It's a very good guitar key. There's a lot of open strings. <laughs> so I'm going to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, and then I'm going to sing it at you. So here it comes. Perfect. Anything, anything else you want to say before I... Uh, when you're done, I will close out the show. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe will help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Santa's on his Lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh, and every 
mother's child is gonna spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. And so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from one to ninety-two. said many times many ways Merry Christmas to I know that you put a lot of preparation into that and everything, the script. I really want to thank you for that. I really appreciate it. On you're behalf welcome. of my listeners, too, we really enjoy having you on the show. It's fantastic. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you sincerely. It's always my pleasure. Merry Christmas, everybody. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. And once again, my very special guest, Mr. Rick Emmett. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Merry Christmas, folks. Till next time. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. 